I've sort of waited for this particular verse to come up <laughs> for a number of reasons. I think we need in the way ministry and among our core people a wonderful knowledge of some of the words that are used and tonight is one of those nights. I only want to handle one verse of scripture but by the time I do I wanted to really bless you and give us a tremendous knowledge of something that keeps coming up and up and up in God's word. So we're in Second Thessalonians tonight, chapter 1 and in verse 8. In the last session, I took the first part of verse 8 and I told you that this perhaps would be in context with the last part of verse 7 in flaming fire. Now, Reading the whole verse, however, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did I give you all those scriptures last week to check Exodus 3, 2, 19? I gave you all of that. Daniel 7, 9, and 10 was the last scripture, right? And I spoke of it, a fire of flame. All right. Now when you get to the word taking vengeance, or these two words, taking vengeance on them that know not God, the taking, the taking, this is the Lord Jesus taking vengeance. It isn't the flame of fire taking vengeance. It's the Lord Jesus taking vengeance. And the reason I believe this with all my heart is because of the word taking. The word taking is the same word as the word rendering. And as I check that word rendering, it is a legal term that is used when a judge renders a decision. And at the time we're speaking here, we're talking about the Lord's return, right? And he comes not to be born in a stable laid in a manger. He comes back as king of kings and lord of lords, as the judge of the living and of the dead. Remember, quickened it. He comes back. And that's why taking the word rendering, this can only be done by a judge, and the judge is the Lord Jesus. That's why I believe in context, reading it would say the Lord Jesus rendering vengeance. Now, the word vengeance, I think, to most people in our culture at least is bite them up, you know, injure them, hurt them, chew them up, beat them, do anything. But the word vengeance does not mean that biblically. It means proceeding. It's a rendering of a just verdict by a judge which proceeds out of justice. It's vengeance that proceeds out of justice. It's a rendering by a just judge of honest justice. It's legally the full justice on a criminal for all that he deserves. That's the best I know to define it for you. Take a look at Deuteronomy. I'm going to just check this with you. Deuteronomy 32.
35, and I am starving to see 11 treasures. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people. Here in Deuteronomy, it has to be God speaking, and that to me belongeth to God vengeance. You're going to see that this judging will be by Jesus Christ. And therefore, they'll say, because it says in the Gospels that Jesus Christ is going to do the judging, in the Old Testament, it says God does it, therefore, Jesus Christ is God. That's how they're going to trick you on that. But we'll get all this put together, maybe. Let's look at Psalm 94 is another one that I put in here for this purpose. Psalm 94, verse 1. O Lord God, to whom what? Vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. I'm in Psalm 94, 1 and 2. Again, it's the Lord God. I didn't check this, but I'm real sure that the word Lord in the case of Deuteronomy would have been Jehovah. See? And it's God dealing with his people on an horizontal level as Jehovah. And this is why you will see later on it's the Son of God that will finally render the verdict because he represents God on earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If you have a center reference, that reference, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. They take it from where? From Deuteronomy? That's what I thought. See? I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, of course, that word Lord, again, I, I am confident has to be Jehovah in the Old Testament. And that vengeance is that word justice. Look up that word vengeance. Bring it in here. We'll see what Webster or those fellows have to say. But I work this from the text point of view of the <coughs> biblical text. And that's why I got my clue, as I said, from the word taking. Because of the knowing that it's a judge renders a verdict. And a judge cannot render a verdict until all the facts concerning the case are in. And all the facts concerning the case will be in with the Lord's return. See how beautifully this will fit? It'll just electrify you when you put this stuff all together. Do you have that in that dictionary? Yes. What does it say, honey? It says, the act of revenging retribution for wrong or injury. That all it says? Then it gives synonym, say revenge. Look up revenging. Right. See what they say about revenge. On down, they talk about with a vengeance, which is with great force or violence, extremely, to an unusual extent. You see, it couldn't be to an unusual extent, not in this thing. It'd be to the extent of honest justice, be unusual from man's viewpoint, but not God's. <laughs> Let's say about revenge. Revenge is to inflict punishment, injury, or loss in return for... To take vengeance for, to avenge. 
And the second definition is to take or seek vengeance in behalf of retaliation. Okay. You see, it's not retaliation. It is absolute justice by a just God as it would be to a criminal according to that he deserves. Okay. We were in Romans. Let's go to John. That's interesting. Been better if those fellows would have worked the word a little. They'd have a little greater light in that Webster or whatever you read from. John 5, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I'm in John 5, am I not? What were you moaning about? Clear, isn't it? Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> Good. <laughs> You're beautiful. Do you have a center reference on that scripture? Where else is it used or where is it coming from? Hold it a minute. I'll just check Acts 10. Judge of the quick and the dead. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's all right. He commanded us to preach on the people. Testify that is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. If he was ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead, then he could not be God. It's a good verse. Now, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And this becomes real significant because if you'll notice, and the conjunction, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Know not God, obey not the gospel. See those words? You got two things. Know not God, obey not the gospel. The theologians generally say that this is one unit. I don't believe that. I believe that this word of God here in Thessalonians has two great truths in here instead of one. I think the first, they know not God, is relative to Gentiles. That obey not the gospel is relative to Israel. I think both are in there. And I entirely two different thought concepts. First of all, God dealing out justice to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles who know not God. Now, you could take that know not God business from the Gentiles and you could go into Romans and I'm sure other church epistles and you could see the reason they didn't know God. And it says someplace in the scriptures that those who did not have a law were a law unto themselves. And it was like an unwritten law. 
In other words, let's say you and I are Gentiles. If I steal from you, you'll know it. And if you steal from me, I'll know it. We don't need a law. We already know it. And someplace it's in Romans or that they that do things without the law, remember? You just have to check up on some of those if you really want to dig the greatness of this for your life and build your own sort of center reference on it. I believe that they know not God is referring to the Gentiles because with the return of Christ and the judgment, there is a different type of judgment for Gentiles than there is for Israel. There are a number of different judgments in the Bible. Maybe some night when the wind blows and the snow blows this winter, we ought to do the judgments just to bring our concordances and sit downstairs and eat popcorn and apples and do the judgments or something. It would be nice if you understood that a little better, maybe. And then the word and. And. That obey not the gospel, the good news. You see, Jesus Christ was the good news to Israel. They crucified him. Then God turned right around on the day of Pentecost and ministered right back basically to Israel on the day of Pentecost, remember? In Jerusalem, they were gathered for the feast, right basically back to Israel. And then they kicked God in the teeth again. That's why I believe the greatness of this verse lays in these two great truths. Gentiles know not God, obey not the gospel, basically Jews or Israel. Sure some. Then come the words that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight I'd like to put together with you a number of words. First one is the word Lord. Secondly, Jesus. Thirdly, Christ. And then the word save and savior and the word Rabboni so that you'll be able to know the difference and the reason for the different usages in the word whenever they occur. So the word Lord we'll handle first. The Greek word is the word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. And the definition I'd like to give you of this word is he who assumes and exercises the power. The emphasis in my mind is on the word assumes. He assumes it. No one could be Lord without assuming it. Jesus Christ was born. So if he's going to be Lord, he has to grow up and he has to do what? Claim it. He has to assume it. You know, follow what I'm trying to indicate to you. He took upon himself, remember, became formed likeness of man. And then he assumed. And after it's all over with, God gave him a name which is above every name. Because of the exercising of his lordship over the responsibilities he had. Now. The word kudios, or Lord, is a position 
of a master. So if the word would say Lord and master, you just have a double emphasis of lordship, that's all. Because the word Lord is master. The word master is Lord. The position of master ownership and authority in relation to his people. Now you can see in God's word why the husband is called the Lord by the wife. Because when he gets married, he assumes and exercises the power of authority in relationship to his people, to his wife. The word Lord is used of God. It's used of Jesus Christ. It's used of man. It's used of husband. These are different usages in the Bible. Take a look at Acts. Get these words really straightened out in your mind and memorize this so that that stuff is just in your heart whenever you read the word and you begin to see them. Then you can compare what I teach you with the word and as you go along you get greater understanding of it. Acts 2, this great record. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and what? Christ, see, he hath made him, God made him, both Lord and Christ, and the reason God made him, this is because he took upon himself the authority, there's a scripture in the early part of his ministry, it's a thing, it's in Mark, where they did something to Jesus because he spoke as a man of authority, where is that? Remember? It's in one of the healings, isn't it? Early part of Mark or someplace. Who's got it? What's it say? Read it to me. 122. That's right. Mark 1, 22. He taught them as a man who had what? Well, how did he get it? You're right. He assumed it. That's why that... The emphasis is on the assuming of it. You got to take your position of authority. It's like ministries of apostles, prophets, you know, they just don't drop in your hat. But if you had the ministry of an apostle, you'd still, in order to have that ministry, you have to assume the authority that goes with it. That one in Acts is really beautiful when you consider that it came on the day of Pentecost at that great statement is made. They crucified the one who had assumed the authority, right? Jesus Christ. They crucified him. And on the day of Pentecost, when God sent Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, the new birth within, God said to them, you crucified him, but I want to tell you something. I made him Lord. <laughs> I made that same Jesus Lord. Okay? Now, look at Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand 
until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's used in the New Testament. You've got a reference in the New Testament. Where is it? Matthew 22. That would be a good one to put under that, I'm sure. Yep. Matthew 22, 44 and following. Is Ephesians given? Yep. Is that given? Yep. Gave him to be head over all, put all things under his feet. Gave him to be head over all things to the church. Right? That would be a good one, too. See, you can just put so many beautiful scriptures with this once you know the truth of it. Did you have Mark 12, someone? 36, 37? Yes, they ought to all go in there. It's beautiful. Okay. The Greek word... Despotes, D-E-S-P-O-T-E-S. -E -E that word from the Greek you would already know has to be transliterated into English as despot. That word despotes is also translated Lord in your King James. And the difference between kyrios and despotes is that Despotes is one who possesses it as unlimited power. Despot. It'd be like a uh, king who has all the power. He does not assume it. He possesses it as unlimited power. I don't recall how many times it's used in this sense in the word but that's best to know about it. Now the word Jesus. Jesus, you know, is the Greek word. The Old Testament is the word Joshua or Yehoshua is the Old Testament word that is translated Jesus. And it literally means Jehovah the Savior. That's what it means. And the word Jehovah is the Lord on an horizontal level who saves. Later on, when I handle the word Savior, we'll be getting into some of the scriptures. The word Jesus is always on an horizontal level, and it means the one who saves. If I was drowning and you rescued me, you would be technically a Savior. And they could call you Jesus or Joshua, meaning one who saves. It is always a word used on an earthly basis, emphasizing the humiliation that Jesus Christ suffered. He was a man of sorrows. That would be the word relationship to Jesus. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross is the word Jesus. So again, this word Jesus, you know, when you're honest in working the word, that doesn't make him God. The word Lord did not make him God. The word Jesus does not make him God. Well, what about the word Christ as it's used here in Second Thessalonians? The word Christ is a translation of the word Messiah. 
The word Messiah means literally the one anointed with oil. And it refers to the priests. It had a very eminent usage etymologically. An eminent usage. It literally means also a divine relationship of the sent one. The Messiah. His divine relationship because God sent him. For God so loved that he what? Gave. God sent his only begotten son. That's the word meaning of the word Christ. Go to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4, 4, 4, verse 3. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he has sinned a young bullock without blemish on the Lord for his sin offering. That is anointed. Verse 5. And the priest that's anointed. Verse 16. Same chapter. And the priest that is anointed in chapter 6. See the sons of Aaron in verse 14. Offer it. They take of it a handful of flour of the meat offering and the oil thereof and all the frankincense with upon the meat and shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor and the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat with unleavened bread. Shall it be eaten in the holy place in the court? Am I in chapter 6, verse 16, 15, 16? It's good. Yep. Verse 22. Okay. Now go to Luke. Chapter 23. Verse 2. And they began. In front of Pilate. You know of verse 1. See the context. To accuse him, Jesus, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Messiah, a king. And in order to be a king, he had to be anointed. Remember, Samuel anointed Saul, and the anointed to be anointed is to be a Messiah. Now, a king is anointed, and he would be the Messiah to his people. Do you understand? Like Saul was to save Israel from the Philistines, it says. That's why Saul was anointed, and to that end, the king was a Messiah, the anointed one. In verse 35, and the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. See, the anointed one, chosen of God. There again is a verse that indicates he couldn't be God. People, how we could have all missed it through all these centuries, to get Jesus Christ as God is just unbelievable. People just cannot read. Satan has blinded their eyes. 
They read words, but they don't see anything. And it's interesting that he has this word, saved others, let him save himself. This will come up when we talk about the word Savior after a bit. Because Jesus means Jehovah, the Savior, I told you. If he be Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, offering him 37, and saying, the soldier said, if thou be the king, see, you put it together, Christ, the chosen of whom? God. And being anointed, he'd be the king of the Judeans. Save thyself. When you're born again of God's spirit, it's Christ in you, the hope of what? That's the anointed one. Christ in you, but in order to get Christ in you, you have to confess with your mouth, Christ, no, Jesus, as what? Lord. Four. Jesus, the humiliated one, the one who suffered for us, the man of sorrows, the one who was obedient unto death, the one whom they laughed at, and they said, if you be the king, save yourself. You saved others. If you really chosen a God, save yourself. That one we confess with our mouth as Lord. And when we do that, God's miracle of the new birth becomes a reality to us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when we're born again, we are not in Jesus. We are in Christ. Not once does the word say that the born-again believer is in Jesus. We are not in his humiliation. It was his humiliation. He being a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He living that beautiful life of a man living it so perfectly without sin that God accepted him and his offering of himself and then gave him a name which is above every name. And he is our Lord. Then we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, the anointed one. Christ is not the Messiah to us. He was the Messiah to what? Israel. He's still the anointed one, however, even to us. We are not Israel in the sense of bloodline. We are Israel spiritual. Remember not all those that be born of Abraham are Abraham's children. You see, just by your physical birth doesn't entitle you to a darn thing. It's your spiritual birth that makes us spiritual Israel. We are spiritually Abraham's children. Abraham believed God was accounted. And because you and I believe, therefore we are. And we have the anointed one. Not as our Messiah, but as our head. Christ is the head of the church. Like a king is the head of a nation, he, the anointed one, is our Lord and our Savior. He is the head of the church. See how all of that fits together, people, with not one iota of discrepancy. Now, We've covered Lord, we've covered Jesus, we've covered Christ. Now we'll cover Savior because 
It is referred to sometimes as the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you must be very knowledgeable of all four of those words. The word Savior in the Greek is the word sotel, S-O-T-E-R, and it means a deliverer, a preserver of life. That is why the word Jesus meant Jehovah the Savior, Jesus the Deliverer. Wherever he went, time and time again in the Gospels, remember he delivered people. He set them free. Remember his first sermon that he preached in Nazareth, that text from Luke that's given. Open the eyes of the blind, set the captives, those that are enslaved and in captivity free. That's a savior. The word Jesus, or which is, as I said, Yehoshua, comes from the word J-A-H, which is a shortened form of the word Jehovah. And Jehovah is always God on the level of ministering to his people. Remember Old Testament, the difference between Elohim and Jehovah? And the other part of that word is the word save. Jehovah saves. And that's the word zoso, which we'll handle a little later on. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Great verse. Bless your heart. 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my deliverer. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my deliverer, my Savior. In chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the what? Lord. Both the word Christ and Lord are used there. A Savior, a deliverer, you can certainly understand similarities between God, who is a deliverer, and Jesus Christ, his son, who also delivers. Just because Jesus Christ is a savior and God is a savior does not make them identical. Acts chapter 5. Luke John, Acts chapter 5. 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand, to be a prince and a savior or to give repentance to Israel and remission of sins. A prince and a savior, a deliverer. I understand the word prince in the sense that you would understand it as one who is anointed to be king. Just hasn't taken authority yet. That's why the word prince is there. You know, and just time hasn't come to assume the responsibility that is already latent in his being a prince. That's Acts 5. I want to look at Acts 13. I just picked out a number of them. There are many more you could check on, but this will set, I believe, the great salient truths that I'm after. 13, 23. 
talking about David, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus, a deliverer whose name is Jesus, and the word Jesus means Jehovah saves. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body, the deliverer, the preserver of the body. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, our Deliverer, and Lord Christ Jesus, our hope. Mentioning both God, our Savior, does not make the Lord Christ Jesus God. In chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, our Deliverer. You see, God delivered us in a number of different ways through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, and giving us the new birth which takes us from death unto life, which is the work of God through the ministry of Christ Jesus. I have no problem with it. I see no contradiction. It's very simple. Look at verse 4. Who wills all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, to be delivered, to be preserved, but she shall be saved in childbearing. The word saved in verse 15 is again preserved. Look at chapter 4, 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Boy, without understanding the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can get so confused that he is God, you just get all messed up. Really something. We trust in the living God. They would read in it, we trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what it says. We trust in the living God. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the meaning of the word Savior. One who delivers, one who preserves. In Exodus it said, ye are gods. You know, that's not the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. But the reason they were gods and called gods, their children are called gods, is because of the deliverance, preserving. You know, some if people don't want to understand the truth of God's word, you'll never understand it. If they don't want to work it and fit it together and make it gel, they'll never see it. Bleed your eyeballs out. Never get around to it. But if you really want to see, then it's not difficult to understand. Because the word opens our understanding like Jesus did by teaching them the word on the road to Emmaus. 
open unto them the scriptures of himself from all the prophets. That's how they got understanding. The word save is the word zozo, S-O-Z-O, long O. And that means to make whole or to make sound. In Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall zozo, make whole, make sound, his people from their sins. In Acts chapter 4, Acts 4, and in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be zoso, made whole said in Luke that this Jesus Christ was the one to make whole. Here, this is the only name under heaven, not Buddhist. Romans chapter 8, verse 24, for we are saved, made whole, sound by hope. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the made whole spiritually is perfection. The made whole physically is a day-by-day deliverance, but the made whole completely in the raising and the changing of the gathering together or in the resurrection, that wholeness is the hope. The hope. That is complete. Tremendous verse of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 5, Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead to sins whom God quickened together with Christ, by grace ye have been so-sowed, made whole, made sound. And that being made sound is that Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> really great. Verse 8. For in grace are ye zosoed, made whole, made sound, through believing, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles in order that they might be zosoed, <laughs> made whole, made sound. And in 2 Thessalonians, where we are dealing this particular moment in history, I guess, or time, we're going to get to chapter 2 sometime in verse 10. And it says, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be zosoed, made whole, made sound. It was available and is available, but they do not receive it. They receive not the love of the truth. Boy, you see, when you really love truth, 
It becomes an exciting reality, boy. And it's the truth that sets men free. And to be set free is to be made zoso, whole. Now, there's only one other great word that, one other great word that deals along the same line that you need to know, and that's the word Rabboni. I think when Jesus Christ was resurrected that day, didn't Mary say to him, Rabboni? The word Rabboni is the word translated rabbi. That's the word, rabbi. And the word rabbi or rabboni literally means my great master. And the word Lord means master, remember? And therefore the word rabboni or rabbi means just a great master. It is used of a lord or a master of the greatest eminence. I think in the old Jewish law of Heliel, there are only seven men to whom they ever referred to as rabbi. So people, this ties together some of the great truths in this beautiful eighth verse of this first chapter of Second Thessalonians. They know not God, they obey not the gospel. It was the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, Savior, Rabboni. They're all in there. Okay? Well, that's all we're going to do on that verse.